This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact handy carrying case and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade the other handle has the saw that comes with it so I use the saw to split the pelvis and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out right so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Check out Dogs Are Treat at DogsAreTreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20%, off you will get 20 percent off of your entire order on all of their branded products leashes tieouts, medical kits paws are protected build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle enter the code hxp 20 percent off at checkout go to their website today at dogsartree.com This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in there. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Houndsman XP fans, we have reached a milestone. This is episode 100. We've reached a century mark, and it's exciting. I want to tell every one of our listeners a very big thank you. Thank you for supporting Houndsman XP, and 
continue listening to our podcast in appreciation for your support for the last almost two years now. We are going to do a giveaway this week, and I want to tell you what we're giving away, and then I'm going to tell you how you can get involved. So for uh, the giveaway, what we're going to give away is one of our Big Frig 20-ounce logo mugs, and we are rolling out a new hat, and um, we're going to give you a hat, a window decal, and a travel mug. These things are super sharp, all three of them. Uh, we really appreciate you. This is how you can get involved. So go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. This week only, leave a, week, leave a review this week. And take a screenshot of that and email it to me at chris.houndsmanxp at gmail.com. Okay, so go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review, a written review, take a snapshot of it, email it to me, and I'll put your uh, entry into a drawing, and we will draw this next week. So, again, thank you for your support. It's pretty slow. It's it's quiet. I'm not going to say it's slow, but it is quiet on the legislative front. There are a few issues. There is a, um, uh, a tethering bill that Josh Muncie sent to me um, that's going on in um, West Virginia. So the House bill is 2095 in West Virginia. You can go there and look it up. But this is a commercial breeding bill, tethering bill, and uh, things that can really affect houndsmen. This is such a predictable tactic for uh, people that, want to limit your freedoms to own hounds. The animal rights activists are coming at us from every angle. They're trying to limit our ability to hunt, but when they can't do that, they're also coming in from the flanks and trying to limit our freedoms to own dogs. So take a look at that. Make sure you're contacting your representatives for HB House Bill 2095 in West Virginia. You got to get involved in this thing and stay on the forefront of it. Uh, Also, don't forget about Senate Bill 323 in Texas, which is also a commercial breeding bill. We should all be calling those uh, legislators down there and telling them not to support this. Again, it's a commercial breeding bill that's going to cut deeply into people's ability to keep sporting dogs. Take a look at it. Look it up. Senate Bill 323 in Texas. Also, uh, quiet on the front for Montana House Bill 468, which is the uh, bill that is going to allow people to hunt and pursue black bear through um, with hounds in Montana. Sources on the ground in Montana feel very good about this bill. It's got a lot of traction, and it's got a lot of support. However, we can't be asleep at the switch here, folks. We've got to keep those calls going into the Senate. Right now it's in the uh, Committee for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. But don't go to sleep at the switch on this. Make sure you're calling and supporting this bill. 
Uh, and when you call, you need to make sure that you tell them that this opens up opportunity for uh, managing a resource in our black bear. And also, it serves such a great uh, purpose, and it's a great tool for effective biological study of those black bears. Stay tuned to any Montana group. Uh, follow Terry Zink on Facebook. Follow the Montana State Hounds Association, Ross Feenstra. Any of those guys can keep you up to date and current on this issue. I also want to welcome aboard Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. Southern Hound Hunting, promoting the fair chase experience. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine on the market today that represents houndsmen. I am looking at an issue right now. I see articles for coon hunting, hog hunting, bear hunting, deer hunting, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting. If you can hunt it with a dog, they're talking about it in Southern Hound Magazine. A subscription is $15 a year, and you can go to www.southernhoundhunting.com and order your subscription today. Houndsman XP will be submitting a, an article or a column in there for every issue, and we're really excited to be partnering with such a great magazine like Southern Hound Hunting. There are going to be some international articles on there. We've got houndsmen from across the world that are going to be contributing to that magazine uh, as well. And Mark is doing a super job with that. He promotes our youth. He stands for the same things that we do here to uh, preserve, protect, and promote the houndsman lifestyle. Check him out at www.southernhoundhunting.com and get your subscription today. This is a great episode. This is a crucial episode. This is an episode that is going to help you keep your hounds alive in the backcountry. Sheridan Meyer is a vet tech from Colorado. She's been a vet tech for over 20 years, and she is going to give us some, some crucial information on what to do if we and our hounds experience a, a, an emergency. Uh, treating traumatic injury, and how to keep that dog alive until you can get it to professional vet care. And I think this is going to be a great episode for, for information, and we cover a lot of territory here. So enjoy this podcast. Again, 100 episodes. I'm humbled by the support that you have given us, and we will continue to be your voice for this lifestyle that we all enjoy so much. So folks, it is time to dump the box. All right, from high atop some desolate mountain, I know you drove like 15 minutes or I don't know, how far did you drive Sheridan to get to a place where you could talk to me? About 15 minutes. <laughs> About 15 minutes. All right. I was close, <laughs> like dead on close. Three, three miles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sheridan, we have Sheridan Meyer on the podcast this week, and we are going to cover some very important subjects about care for our hounds. And uh, just to set this up a little bit, Sheridan is a vet tech. Is that what you would call it, a vet technician? Yeah, well, a veterinary assistant. Veterinary. Official paperwork. Right. So there's probably 
It's like my wife. She's not technically a CMA, a certified medical assistant, but she's been doing it for so long that uh, she does the whole job and takes care of patients and different things like that. Is that kind of the same deal with you? Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, training, formal government required training and license fees, right? Correct. <laughs> on the job, on the on the job training rather than book training. That's exactly right, and there's so much to on the job training. So, Sheridan, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, uh, tell us about where you live, and um, you know, just introduce everybody to Sheridan. Before we get there, though, I just want to tell you that I, I am really appreciative of the support that you've always given Houndsman XP and uh, you're a Patreon supporter and you were the winner of our annual drawing for Patreon um, or was you semi-annual? You were the semi-annual uh, winner yeah, this semi-annual. past year. Yeah. And uh, we sent you a big frig cooler and some leashes and some stuff from dogs are treats. So shared. I appreciate your support with the podcast and uh, yeah. Thanks a lot. We appreciate, we appreciate you guys doing all you do for the sport of hound hunting. Well, you know, I, I appreciate, yeah, thank you very much. And um, it is very important to us. We're trying to, we try our best with the tools God gave us. We're doing the best with what he gave us. So, um, Tell us about yourself, Sheridan. Where are you from? Well, um, I live in northwestern Colorado. We live at about 8,500 feet. We do a little bit of ranching on the side. Um, I work for the local vet. I have one daughter. We um, got some lion hounds about three years ago. We raised border collies since I was a kid, uh, working cattle and sheep and whatnot. Yeah. And we trial some of them around the United States. And then a good friend of ours gave us some lion dogs, and now we're broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shorty asked me in the last podcast, what's the best piece of advice anybody ever gave me? And I said, probably not to start, you know, <laughs> not to get into this. You'll be broke for sure. It's not a, not a cheap sport. And then just when I think, we're getting down on dogs. We're doing okay. We'll yeah. go buy another one. Yeah. You know, so. we, 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 everybody refers to it as a sport. We try to, we do refer to it as a lifestyle because, you know, if you think about it, sports can come and go. You know, I can't play football like I used to. I can't hunt like I used to either. But, but uh, when you have hounds, it is absolutely a lifestyle. It's a dedication. You don't, they're in a day that goes by that you can't, that you can skip and, and not take care of your hounds. And, and once you get into it, I mean, you're into it. Absolutely. And then, I mean, we hunt other things besides hounds. And so, I mean, we basically hunt from the end of August till the 1st of January, end of January, somewhere in there. Yeah. Something. Tell us about, tell me about Um, these border collies that you trialed. So, those those dogs absolutely amaze me. Were you guys training your own dogs and breeding your own dogs and everything? Yeah, so I I train them just ranch work. Um, I take them up the mountain. We, you know, we run cattle on the mountain in the summer, and so I run them up the mountain, and then my daughter does all the 
trialing stuff. She takes them around with my mom. She travels with my mom, and mm-hmm. um, they do courses and, you know, cattle, sheep. We we start them out on ducks as puppies. I mean, it's just as intense as, as the hound dogs. It really is. Uh, we, and then we, we try to have a litter, you know, every year just to replace the older dogs because it's pretty hard on them. I mean, they love it, but cows are hard on dogs. Yeah. And, and they're tough. And border collies are some kind of tough. You know, they'll get kicked and break a leg and just keep going. You have to call them off. <laughs> yeah, ex- extreme <laughs> um, performance cattle dogs. Yeah, they they make poor choices. There's no self-preservation. They're all in. They're sold and, out. Uh, yeah. So my daughter's 12, and she takes them, you know, one or two a year and trials around. Mm-hmm. She's, and she's made the national finals the last three years, I think, in cattle. Wow. And then she she does the National Western Stock Show here in Colorado every year, and mm-hmm. she has since she was eight. So I got a question. Uh, and it, it always it – always, are these the type of dogs that, I mean, they, like, creep up on a calf, a, a cow, and, you know, they do the whole sneak thing? and. So some do. They have different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I mean, we have some. They call that using their eye. Okay. And so some of, them, some of them will use their eye, and some of them don't have the patience for that, and they'll just go in and bite. Mm-hmm. And generally it's better if they'll use their eye a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of a predator versus prey thing where the cows will just move without getting bit. If you bite them, they tend to run, and then things don't always go your way. Well, it ima- it it, have- it absolutely intrigues me because it's something that I know nothing about, and we'll probably end up talking more about this off of the podcast because I'm always looking <laughs> for ways to transfer the skills that that other trainers use and transfer those skills over to training hounds and and did you find that it was a big transition to start using hounds as opposed to the border collies no i think they're a little more strong-willed um i told my husband when we first got hounds if my border collies can listen and i can work them 300 yards out these hounds can too so we very rarely put our hounds on a leash. Um, I mean, I exercise, you know, all 10 of them at once, and I can call them all back and make them load up unless they're on a hot track. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, they're they're pretty good. If you let them loose around the house in the summer, they'll tend to go off and try and chase bears because we have a lot of bear trouble. But Right. Um, right. For the most part, I mean, they listen just like our border collies do. That's cool. And that was not the intended subject matter for this podcast either. But <laughs> and I didn't even know I didn't even know you did that. I didn't know you had border collies. We we will have to have a training podcast with you too. But we really want to talk about field care for our hounds. And when we're talking about field first aid, we're talking about um you know, just traumatic injuries to our hounds. It's an emergency. We've got to keep them alive until we get them to a vet. And and I'll just say it here. Sheridan's not a veterinarian. I'm not a veterinarian. Uh, but Sheridan, you've got a ton of experience on, you know, treating treating hounds and how to treat wounds and things like that. And I think there's a lot of things that 
houndsmen do the best that they can with what they've got. But the ultimate goal here is talking about some specific injuries that have to be treated in the field and keep your dog alive until you can get it to professional veterinarian care. Um, and saving your dog's life is really what we're talking about. And, um, you know, how to not make it a worse mess once you get them there. So is that, is it, are you good with that? Yeah, I, I guess. How do you, I, I mean, what's your first question? <laughs> There's all kinds of questions. So I just okay. wanted, I just, I didn't want to be talking. If you had something you wanted to add to, uh, my introduction of what we we're going to talk about. So I think, I think the first place is to talk about your experience as a vet tech, how many years you've been, been doing that and, um, give us some background on your professional experience. Okay. So I've worked for the same vet for 20 years, um, in June and, um, he's an old school vet. He's, he'll be 82 this year, 81. Um, so he does things a little bit old school, which isn't all bad. No. And we do large and small animals both. The only thing we don't do is snakes, lizards, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get in on everything from fixing broken legs to vaccinations, teeth cleanings. I mean, general, you know, trimming toenails, the whole, the whole nine yards. I'm involved in just about every aspect of the day, so... Right. Right. So uh, the first thing I want to ask you about is, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but the first thing I want to focus on, you know, life-saving measures for traumatic wounds. And, um, uh, you said your vet's an old school, the guy, the, the veterinarian you work for is an old school vet. And, I actually saw a dog get, we were squirrel hunting and we were, had our hunt, uh, mountain curs out and my hunting buddy's dog was shot with an arrow and I thought for sure that dog was going to die and we wrapped it up and compressed the wound and hauled it into the vet's office and our vet in town was an old school vet and he saved that dog's life. And I thought for sure that dog was a goner. And then another dog that I know was shot with a rifle. Uh, he made it home. This dog was taken to a newer, younger veterinarian. And the dog was not progressing. And so my friend took this dog to the same vet that opened the wound up and was letting it drain. And he ended up saving that dog's life. And his name was old Roy because, uh, my buddy fed him old Roy. He was a stray that showed up at the house, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so he called him old Roy, but old Roy, this old school vet saved two different dogs. And, you know, you definitely can't write those, those, those guys off cause they did what they had to do and, and didn't always follow the, the total protocol on everything. Modern, well, modern protocol. That's what I was going to say. They didn't have the advantage of all the technology that we have now. So they really had to learn their practice and learn the signs and learn how to handle things without the technology. And then, you know, as technology has come in, it has made it a little easier. But our vet kind of refuses to use it. He doesn't have a cell phone. 
Um, he doesn't check the email. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything is paper and pen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that has its advantages also. Right. There's no doubt. No doubt. Well, let's talk about some, some, let's just start with something as, uh, simple as, uh, when a person has a hound that has a traumatic injury and say it's a severe cut, what is the first thing that a houndsman should be concerned about at that point? Well, depending on how, how bad it's bleeding, if it's just a skin lesion, um, you, you know, the, the most important part either way is to keep it clean. Mm-hmm. If it's bleeding profusely, it's going to kind of keep the dirt pushed out. Um, if it is bleeding that bad, you know, it's best to get it stopped, whether it's pressure and a bandage. You know, I, most people carry a first aid kit of some sort. Um, they make gauze that has blood stop on it. It's kind of expensive. Works great. Um, you know, put it on and pressure wrap it fairly tight. But the it's going to help everybody out if you can keep it clean. That's the number one is to try and keep everything clean, you know, without causing more damage, mm-hmm. obviously. You don't want to wrap it too tight where it loses circulation to, say, it's on its leg. If it loses circulation on its whole foot, then you're in trouble. Right. Because then you're causing more damage. So, I mean, keep it, if it bleeds through, don't pull the first one off. Just wrap another one around it and keep it, keep it clean is the biggest deal. Okay. So um, how, how would you, you recommend, choose, how would you recommend that be done? Let's, let's just dress a wound on a dog. My dog comes gimping back into me, you know, or I show up at the tree and I realize, wow, that's pretty bad. Um, let's just talk about assessing that that cut and then the steps after you say okay i've i've got a severe cut here i need to keep it clean i need to wrap it and then go from there and we can talk about different parts of the body too um because i think it probably changes a little bit it does a little bit um i we probably carry more first aid stuff just because it's readily available to me Mm -hmm. um so i mean we carry the gauze we carry some um, nitrofurazone powder. Uh, you know, we carry the vet wrap. We carry Elasticon, which is a sticky type of vet wrap mm-hmm. that, you know, will help it stay on a leg where it won't slide down. Yeah. Um, the tape, the scissors. I actually carry suture just, you know, because I can stitch something there mm-hmm. if need be. Um, but if you don't have it, I mean, you can always take your sleeve off of your shirt, your T-shirt, whatever whatever you're wearing, cut it off and make a bandage out of it, you know, kind of old school, but it works. Mm-hmm. Anything you have available to keep it clean, say it's on the leg and you got nothing, you're wearing, you know, tall tube socks, you can cut your tube sock off, which would make your hike out miserable, but um, put it on up the leg and then, you know, if you cut the top, you can tie it mm-hmm. where it'll stay up just to keep it protected depending on how far out you have to go. And through what conditions? So obviously, are you fl- are you flushing anything before you? Are you flushing that wound out? Well, if you have something, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you wouldn't want to use dirty creek water. Um, if you had some bottled water that was, you know, somewhat clean, and um, you could flush it and then wrap it. If you don't have anything, just do your best to keep it clean because at that point it's probably clean. And do not let your dog lick it. That is not, that is not helpful, and it will not help it heal. Really? We hear that. We yeah, we hear that pretty frequently. 
and it actually causes more damage because they lick the tissue and it it causes upset you know it'll upset the tissue there that's that's just freshly opened which then has to heal before it can continue to heal the rest of the tissue yeah because i'd always heard i'd always heard you know a dog will keep its own wound clean if you just leave it open and let them lick it but that's a no-no sometimes that is a no-no yes um I mean, if you're at home and you have something licking, you can use, like, doubled-up pool noodles around the neck, depending on where it's at on its body. Uh-huh. Um, socks. They make all kinds of special contraptions now. But, I mean, stuff around the house that you have, you can put a T-shirt on backwards, you know, and use the neck hole for a tail hole. Um, especially going in and out of dog houses, it's hard to use the Elizabethan collars or e-collars. Right. So The, co- the cone of shame. The cone of shame. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and so most dogs can't get in and out of their doghouse just because the hole's small enough to keep them warm. Right. You know, so that's where the pool noodle comes in, the T-shirt, the shorts, the boxer shorts. I mean, you can get pretty innovative. We had a hound that cut her forearm, and she kept licking it. So we put a turtleneck on her because she wouldn't leave it alone. And, I mean, it, it, as soon as she quit licking it, they heal. Generally, you can pull the stitches seven to ten or ten to fourteen days. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, within seven days, it looks pretty good. Yeah. Ten is just a little bit of wiggle room. Dakota Two Eight Three offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military grade kennel crates. Uh, I got got one of these two door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel, easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic, the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code HXP10 and get 10% off of your order so so at what point what point would you decide that you need to stitch something in the field if you're carrying sutures with you so at what point would you say you know I need to put a couple stitches in that or do you just so we're talking about triage here in the field i need to get some stitches in that or that can probably wait and i can do it in a more controlled environment if it's bleeding really bad it's best to get the blood under control you know the bleeding okay because obviously that's how the body functions and if they lose too much then they can tend to get cold and um it can cause you know low blood sugar i mean it can cause all kinds of things so if it's bleeding profusely, it's probably best to go ahead and stitch it or tie it off somehow if you can. Okay. Right there in the field. If it's just a skin wound that's maybe seeping a little bit, you could do that at home. The sooner you get to it, the better it is. Mm-hmm. Don't wait till the next day, obviously, to stitch anything. 
uh, it makes it harder on you, the doctor, you know, everybody involved, because then you have to cut the edges and freshen everything back up. And sometimes there's not enough skin to bring it on clothes if after you trim everything back up. So and then you have to close it multiple times. What's your feeling about stitches ver- sutures versus staples? Staples are great if if you can get your dog to hold still for it. They work. They're harder on the legs. Definitely, that's like a chest, side, you know, back area. Mm-hmm. They got into a tree or something. Staples are great. As far as using them on the feet and legs, stitches are better because there's so much movement that the stitches allow it to uh, be mobile, I guess, where the staples would pull and poke. And Okay. So, you, so definitely you want a little bit of flex. You want the dog to be able to, to do some flexing there um, so it's not agitated by by the suture right. or by the staple. Right. I got and you. And if you choose, if you choose to, to staple or stitch it by yourself, it's important to leave the bottom open quarter to a half inch so that it can drain in case you didn't get everything out. Um, and obviously you're going to want to take it to your vet either way just because it might need antibiotics or, you know, mm-hmm. you may have missed a layer that's not going to heal right. But generally most most houndsmen, you know, kind of see what needs stitched. And But that's that's a big mistake we see is if they do staple them, they staple it all the way from top to bottom mm-hmm. and then it can't drain it gets pus filled and then that's a whole nother so if i've you got know, you got to open the bottom so if i've got a lateral cut you know say it's even with the top line on the dog going down the side how far do i just leave one end open should i leave both ends of that open so it can drain out of either end if there's not really a bottom to it you know it's a lateral line um what do you right. recommend right there then leave both ends open where it can drain. Um, it is going to, I mean, it's going to heal. It's going to take longer. But if you leave a quarter inch, you're not really going to notice that it's going to take that much longer. Mm-hmm. And it's going to allow that to drain out. Okay. Even the, the serum or the, you know, the blood or the pus or depending on how far along it is. So, okay, you, you, you get there, your dog, like you have a real traumatic injury uh, with Say you've got arterial bleeding when you get there. You you happen to be able to get there in time. What's the best way to stop bleeding? Um, well, depending on where it is, you're going to have to just go in and hold it unless you have sutures to tie it off with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, they make hemostats, but if you don't have a pair of hemostats to, to stick up in the hole and, and pinch it off and then pack your dog out, because it, it, you know, it's going to be hard to walk flopping with a pair of hemostats on its leg or arm, you know, elbow somewhere. So, I mean, you're going to either have to hold it with your hand and then, you know, or wrap it and tie it off Yeah, and hope you get there in time. So, so you're, that's a pretty severe. Yeah. So you're clamping, you're actually clamping the uh, bleeder off is what you're doing inside the wound. When you say get in there and hold it, then you're talking about, Correct. Getting into Get the wound. What's yeah. Yeah. And, yep. you know, since we're, since we're talking one-on-one and, and there's a lot of new houndsmen, which end, I mean, you've got, you've you get a, you get an artery that's been cut in half common sense. 
would say you want the end that's closest to the heart. Is that correct? Okay. Generally, you're going to see, I mean, it's going to seep out one end and it's going to flow out the other end. Okay. Um, and if at all possible, you want to pinch a bolt off, but it's pretty hard because the gap, the gap is usually pretty big because they've sucked back. Um, so you're going to want to pinch the one that is bleeding the worst off right away. Tell me the difference between veins and arteries. Arteries send oxygenated blood to the body, and veins take the deoxygenated blood back to the heart. Okay. So if it's a cut vein and, say, it's down on a leg and it's being pulled back to the heart, then the end that's bleeding the most may be the end closest to the foot? Correct. Okay. It could be, depending on which one it is or how it's. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see where the blood's coming from, whether it's bubbling up from the bottom or gushing out the top. It's pretty obvious when there's something that traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you anesthetize a dog and you go through the vein, you know, to do it, if you don't hold it back, it's going to bleed back. And sometimes fairly profusely, depending on the dog, they all clot different. And, I mean, they have, like, vitamin K will help, you know, say your dog gets into rat poison somewhere. This is kind of going off topic, but um, you're going to want to induce vomiting right away. What about uh, then, what's the charcoal? I carry it in my I carry it in my truck kit, but there's actually a charcoal that uh, you can that absorbs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, that'll absorb and then it, it depends on it depends on what kind of rat poison. So there are, there are two different kinds. Mm-hmm. One is a bleeding, one that causes bleeding. And the other one attacks the neurological system. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, your best bet is to obviously get it out of the system. So get them to vomit. You can use peroxide for that, but most vets don't tell clients that just because you can aspirate a dog if you're not paying attention and they'll choke. Um, and depending on the size of dog, depends on how much peroxide you use. And then, um, so if you if you can't get it all out, that's when you use the charcoal. Okay. And try to get the charcoal to absorb what they didn't throw up. Mm-hmm. And what's the best way? What's the best way to administer? We kind of jumped topics there, but I think it's yeah, a, we did. it's um, let's let's come back to let's come back to the ingestion of that sort of stuff. But uh, okay, we were talking about. Clamping, clamping and stopping bleeding. I want to ask you a question that I think every houndsman goes through. I mean, every single one, doesn't matter if you're a coon hunter or a cat hunter, the split ear that won't stop bleeding. Oh, ears are tough because they're always shaking them. And the best way to handle that is to suture it back together. Uh-huh. And it just, just like the face, they bleed profusely and it probably looks worse than it is. It will eventually heal if you don't stitch it, but it's going to bleed for a long time, and it's going to be sore, you know. Um, and then if you don't stitch it, you're obviously going to have an ear-notched dog. But right. That's that's probably the best is to suture it back together, make sure it's clean, and okay. So suture it back. I've never stitched an ear on a dog, but I have had split ears, and man, it looks like they're going to bleed to death. I mean, it does. It's just, they shake. Yeah, it looks bad. They shake their head and they sling blood everywhere. So 
tell, and, tell. And every time they shake, they knock the clot off. So, uh, you know, I mean, yes. That's yeah. So tell me if this, this is a proper way. So what I found was, is to move up the ear, find, find the, the vein or the artery that's actually doing the bleeding and apply pressure right there and slow the pressure down, you know, until it can clot. It's not, you know, the blood in, it's not bleeding so much that it's just blowing the clot off the end of it and get that, get that down. And then, um, what I do at that point is I take a, um, I'll tell you the two best things that I use is maxi pads and tampons and they're cheap. They're cheap. They're readily accessible. And I will wrap that wrap an ear with a tampon and then I use vet wrap and tape and wrap the ear to the top of the dog's head. So if they do shake their head that they can't knock the clot off of it. Yep. You can, and you can actually wrap around the whole head yeah. where the ear pins down under the jowl also yeah, just to keep that ear from flopping, Yes, you know, so they can't shake the clot off. Yep. So I'll take the yep. tampon wrap. I'll stop the bleeding, take the tampon, you know, tape it on the ear and then and then vet wrap the whole ear to the top of the head. By the next day or, you know, two days, it's always it's always been golden at that point. I've I've never but it took me a long time to to figure all that out. Right. Yes. Trial by fire. <laughs> yeah. We've, yeah. We've seen some innovative things. I mean, come in, like you said, um, maxi pads are they're lightweight and they absorb really well. So they're easy to pack around. You know, they're sticky on one side. You can stick them, and and it should absorb a lot of blood. Yeah, it's a it's so that's, that's, and they're cheap, you know, and they're they're easy to find. So I exactly everybody has access if you're if you're not too shy about walking into the drugstore and buying. I was just getting ready to talk about that. Back. I was just getting ready to talk <laughs> about that. So so it's always a big joke. And, you know, my wife and I will go to the store and it'll be like, oh, they're having a sale. And I'll grab a box and throw them in the cart. And we're standing at the checkout line and my wife hands me this box of maxi pads. And she goes, here are your maxi pads. And she says it loud enough so that everybody turns around and looks while she's handing me the box. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. Sounds like my kind of people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She's fun. we We have a lot of laughs like that. But, uh, so that's an ear bleeder, but the main thing is to stop bleeding. And is there ever a time to use a tourniquet on a dog? Are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Is there any, is there time to use what now? Is there ever a time to use a tourniquet on a dog? Yeah, but that goes back to the, you might cut the blood flow off to the foot, which may actually cause more damage than, you know, letting it bleed just a little bit. Generally, the pressure from a pressure bandage, if you put a, like a stack of gauze or a maxi pad or something thick on it and then wrap it tight, it will put enough pressure to slow it down to get you out. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, unless it's an arterial or a venous bleed, um, basically the tourniquet would probably cause more damage than good at that point okay just because depending on where it is of course you know you're going to cut blood flow off to everything below the tourniquet and depending on for how long you you know you have to have that the the oxygen to keep the tissue alive and when you cut off the blood flow you cut off the oxygen 
I didn't know if there was any, like tourniquets really became the end thing. And since the uh, Gulf Wars took off, they found that, that, you know, survival rate in, in our veterans was much higher when they started carrying tourniquets and applying tourniquets properly. And I didn't know right. if there was any new science out there for dogs uh, that that might have been breaking onto the scene that's transferred over from human medicine on that. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. I mean, I feel like that's a professional deal, you know, mm. because if you leave it on too long, it does cause the damage. Okay. If you put it on too tight, you may not get the blood flow back. Okay. So I wouldn't put a tourniquet. A pressure bandage for sure, but not a tourniquet. Are there, does a dog have pressure points? Like people have pressure points in their body. Like if you get a inside the, inside your legs, there are, there, there are pressure points there where you can actually stop bleeding, you know, down the leg, uh, like a femoral or something like that in the arms underneath the arm, uh, you know, along the carotid, along the neck, do dogs have similar places that they have pressure points like that, that we should know about? They do. I mean, in general, you're just want to, going to want to get above the bleed and put pressure there mm-hmm. or pressure directly on the bleed, depending on how bad it's bleeding. Um, you can use some pressure points, but it's going to be hard to hike out of the, you know, the mountains or wherever you are if you're holding pressure on something. Right, right. Try I'll... to keep it from bleeding where if, if you just wrap it, then you can throw him in your pack or over, you know, whatever, if he can still walk or she can still walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do, I mean, they do have the pressure points. It's just harder to access them, and it, and they're not always a willing participant. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at it from the angle of, okay, I've got a bleeder here. I'm trying to get it stopped. Maybe the, the artery or the, the vein that's bleeding has slipped back up in the wound where I can't get a hold of it. So let's put a little bit of, let's put some pressure up here, and I think you said it, above it. Above it. And, you know, yep. just until you get the bleeding slowed down and you may have to sit there for half an hour holding it until you can get it some blood stop or blood clot in it and get it, get it slowed down. Correct. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think that pretty much covers that part of gashes and wounds. I, I always had, so the next next thing I want to talk to you about is like a disembowelment or a partial disembowelment. Um, okay. Get in there and your I guess your dog's been cut along the abdomen and you can see some gut. You can see some. You can see some. Uh, uh, maybe some of it's coming out through a hole. 
what should uh, what should I do? Well, I hate to sound bleak, but it, I mean, your dog probably isn't going to make it depending on how bad it's been disemboweled. You know, if it's just a little one that, you know, an inch or two that you just got some stuff seeping through, rinse it off as best you can with clean water. Um, saline, if you carry it, most people don't pack saline just mm-hmm. because we have enough stuff to pack. So, I mean, bot- everybody has bottled water. Flush it off push it back in and then wrap it tight where they can't push it back out and get them out, you know, as soon as possible to get that taken care of and make sure you tell your vet, I have flushed this with water, you know, to be honest, don't, cause they know when things don't go right, we know you're not hiding anything. We've seen it all. Right. And even though you think you're hiding something, you're not, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, be honest. That's the best thing you can do for your dog is to be honest and say, I didn't have any clean water, so I went broke some ice in the creek, flushed what I could, all the dirt and debris, bark, whatever off, and I wrapped it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good to know. We need to look, take a peek in there, make sure there's no chunks floating around, whatever. You know, get get everything cleaned up really well before you stitch it. And then, of course, they would give you antibiotics either way. But it's, I mean, it's it's best. It's in your best dog's best interest to be honest about mm-hmm. what you've done, what happened, what just so we know every little detail because one little thing could change the whole show. That's interesting. You know, that's a, that's a very good point. Be honest. Just tell them exactly what you did. You're trying to save your dog's life. Nobody's going to keep a scorecard and, you know, you, exactly. you did what you had to you. do. We're just, yep. We're just there to help you, you know, either fix what happened if possible or, you know, those little setbacks say you don't tell us you flushed it out and you may have missed a piece and then we miss a piece and then your dog's got an infection, you know, internally and that's never good next to all your organs and whatnot. So be honest and tell your vet mm-hmm. this is what happened and they won't judge you. They might judge you, but they're not going to yell at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, right. Then, and most of them will tell you, well, next time, you know, maybe do this or do that. And, and I mean, that's the best learning source you can do is have a good relationship with your vet and ask them these sorts of questions. Mm-hmm. Hey, say I did this. How can we go about? And most of them will talk to you over the phone and not charge you. Yeah. You know, an office charge or whatever. So if you have a quick question how to handle something, call them up and that's what they're there for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've called vets before. Uh, when I was a canine handler, I had different situations that came up it's like hey i'm on my way with a dog and this is what i've done and they're like okay but you should go ahead and do this for me real quick and they they actually walk me through something that i didn't know i needed to be doing and then when i get there you know just being honest with them and talking to them and telling them what you do they understand that that right i'm not a vet and and i'm doing no, the not everybody's head yeah Eight years of training. So, so let's get back to this this bowel bowel deal. Should the uh, the bandage be moistened? Uh, you know, with with clean water, keep it moist. Keep the the gut moist, the part that you're putting against the dog before you wrap it. I've always heard that that should be a, a moist to keep moisture in that area because gut dries out really fast and really easily. So it does dry out fast, but if you keep it, the bad thing about moisture is that's where bacteria grows. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're automatically setting up a good place for infection because it's moist. 
and it's going to be up against the body and then it's going to be warm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's perfect for growing bacteria. So Even- if you can get everything pushed back in and wrapped, the body itself is going to keep it moist. Okay. It's only going to dry out if it's in the air, you know, not exposed. Mm-hmm. So if it's inside, it's probably okay to get you back to your vet. Interesting. The, the, the moisture is definitely a bad thing for infection and growth. And so I, w- I wouldn't moisten it, but. Okay. No, I like it. I, that makes perfect sense because as I sit here and I think about it, you know, say I put a moist bandage or a gauze on that thing and the dog's any moisture, the dog's still got hair all over it. It's still dirty. So it's seeping down onto that. The The moisture is interacting with the, the body temperature of the dog and bang, just like you said, you're setting it up for a for an infection and probably IV antibiotics once you get there. Exactly. You're, you're making it harder on everybody. So just push everything back in easily. Obviously, you don't want to get too rough, but, mm-hmm. um, and then wrap it. Okay. Wrap it up and the body should naturally keep everything moist if it's inside. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Anything else that we need to know about that? I mean, obviously... Um, if your dog has had a trauma like that, the best thing you can do for them is keep them warm because they do go into shock really fast. Okay. Um, so when tell you first us, get there t- and you tell us what shock hurt. is. I mean, it's not like, <gasps> you know, I'm no. shocked, you know, <laughs> right. give us, give us the, the, give us the actual meaning of what shock is. Explain that. Well, their, their body gets cold and stiff and it's, I mean, the adrenaline's pumping through. And they're obviously in pain. Um, you can check their gums to see how shocky they are and their capillary refill. So generally they're fairly pink. Each dog is different. And it's, I mean, you know, it's hard to keep track of everything, but you can have a general idea of what your dog's color looks like just by lip, lifting up their lip real quick mm-hmm. and taking a peek. Um, the whiter it gets, obviously, the more in shock they are, the more pain they have or the more bleeding, depending on the situation. Um, and say you don't see anything wrong with your dog, he's acting funny, you can push on their gum and see how fast it fills back with color. And if it's not filling fast, you've got a, a bleeder somewhere. Right. Internally. Okay. Um, if it fills back up and it's, you know, fairly fast, then you probably have something like a twisted stomach or something if there's nothing too obvious or blow. Mm-hmm. That's so, interesting um, because I'd always heard about, you know, pressing on the gum. You press on the gum. How how soon should that um, color come back? Three to five seconds? Uh, yeah, yeah, within one or two probably. Okay. I mean, it's pretty fast. And you can just go out go out to your healthy dog and try it, you know, and you will know, oh, okay, now I understand. It is fairly fast. And then when you're in the field and something's going on, then you can, you know, well, something's definitely wrong. And you're talking about pretty good pressure there. I mean, taking your thumb and... Oh, and yeah, you, you, yep. you can push it right up hard against the gum, and you'll see it turn white under your finger mm-hmm. and let it off, and it should. you can see it fill back in with foam. And then when that color doesn't come back, I'll recap that. You're saying that you you have uh, an internal bleeder in there somewhere that you've, that you you've and you need to get, get with it, get them to Correct. the vet. 
and then and then going back to keeping them warm i mean that's a huge deal just because they're using less energy to stay warm um you know they can focus on their healing and because they're pretty tough really yeah and so keeping them warm is a huge deal whether you got to put them in your pack or throw them in your floorboard of your car instead of in the dog box you know put the heater on them it's going to help everybody in the end because they are warm and everything, you know, that's one less thing their body's having to deal with mm-hmm. is to regulate their temperature. What have you found to be the best thing that a houseman could carry to do that? Are you talking old blanket? Or are you talking space blanket? Or are you talking, you know, what do you... Whatever you have in your pack. I mean, if you're, depending on where you're at and you've got a coat or something, you know, slap a coat on them and then put them, depending on how hurt they are, if they're walking or you're packing them, mm-hmm. um, generally... Generally, if they can walk out, they probably don't need that extra heat. So it would be just packing them in your pack or over your shoulder or whatever. Throw mm-hmm. your coat over them. You know, just that extra layer of heat will help immensely. Nice. What other what other symptoms of shock? How what others is what other things are symptomatic might indicate that, that the dog's got sh- uh, suffering from shock? Well. Like the lights are on and nobody's home, you know, their their eyes are open, but they can't really comprehend what's what's happening. You're like you're trying to tell them something or you're trying to get them to do something and they're just kind of looking at you. Mm-hmm. They're probably in shock. Okay. Um, those are the basics. I mean, you could get into taking your dog's temperature and all that, but that's not really field handy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't carry a thermometer on my first day back. I always found right. it hard and to keep it. Uh, yeah, I always found it really difficult to keep uh, for a dog to keep that thermometer under their tongue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to keep it where you want it. <laughs> uh, Some of them don't appreciate it at all. Yeah, yeah. My wife doesn't appreciate me using the the house thermometer to take the dog's temperature. I can tell you that. That's a good <laughs> yeah, way to add it. Is- that thermometer will never be used in the house again, I promise. So that's one cheap way to replenish your pack is uh, go on and grab your wife's thermometer out of the medicine cabinet. I used it on the dog. Well, you can keep that one. Yep. Ours is clearly marked. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is you keep them in the same place. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> But you never know when things are going to go array and you just grab a thermometer and, oh, buddy. (laughs) It's always good to mark that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, one thing that... It would make a bad day worse. That's right. That's right. One thing that um, I want to talk about, it's something that happens all too often, is gunshot wounds in our hounds. Uh, And it seems to be a little more common back east here where the pieces of property are smaller and dogs get places they're not supposed to be and uh, it is a crime and i'll just start this off by it needs to be investigated by law enforcement as a crime Uh, and that's a whole different podcast but so we've got a dog that suffered from a gunshot wound go well depending on where it is i mean you know, if it's farther back in the stomach, you you basically need to get it to the vet. If it's if it is a gunshot wound, same thing as keep it clean, stop the bleeding. Um, you know, be honest with your vet and tell them 
you're not sure what happened or if you saw it, you know, tell him everything that happened and how your dog reacted when it happened. But the most important thing is to keep it clean and, you know, stop the bleeding. If it's internal, I mean, you want to get them to the vet as soon as possible just because, like anything, the juices in the stomach and the guts, I mean, they're they're going to cause toxins in the body and mm-hmm. you can't really recover from, you know, over-poisoning. The- um the way I've normally the way I've normally seen it is you know you hear your dog treat in there and this is mainly coon hunting related. Um, you hear your dog treat in there. You hear a gunshot wound. You go in and the nightmare starts unfolding from there. Um, and say the dog is you could you look at your dog. You realize that he's got a maybe a, a bleeder on the side, or he's laying laying there. You know. And um, what kind of triage should you be doing immediately? Should be, you be looking for exit wounds? And obviously, if a dog's laying on its side, you don't know how bad the trauma is next to the ground, you know, that he's the side right. that he's laying on. Yeah, I mean, obviously, your bullets aren't the cleanest thing, so you're going to want to make sure that you get them somewhere as soon as possible. But it, it's basically the same, same first aid, you know, keep it clean keep them warm, um, wrap up the bleeders and get them out of there so mm-hmm. you can get some professional help because they may need an IV or, um, they're obviously going to need antibiotics. Right. There, there was a guy that had some, a cow dog get shot at, it didn't kill the dog, um, for chasing, I think he was chasing deer. Don't quote me on that. But anyway, um, and it killed all the tissue around for probably six inches on both wounds, one at the top of his shoulders and one at the base of his hiney. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the bullets are nasty because nobody obviously sterilizes them before they shoot. So it's best to just get them, get it, keep it clean, keep the bleeding slowed down and get them out of there and get some help. Mm-hmm. And then, like I say, keeping them warm, that goes a long ways to helping everybody out. Right, right. So it's it's pretty similar as as a cut or a, you know it's just a little more worrisome and you want to hurry a little bit more. Well, I think there's something about a gunshot wound that automatically everybody's like, oh my gosh, they've been shot. You know, in law enforcement, yeah. in law enforcement, people with knives can do a lot more damage quicker than what yeah. somebody with a gun can, and so we overlook it. But there's such a mystique about a gunshot wound. And it just, it, oh my gosh, they've been shot. And it's not the end of the world. No matter whether it's a, a cut or a gunshot wound or whatever, you know, the, the first thing you got to do is collect yourself and realize that you got to stay calm here. Get your, get right, your no dog out of there. how mad you are. Yes. Get your dog out of there and then you can go back and whip the guy or girl, whatever, whoever it was. <laughs> Take care of your dog first and then, yes. then you can go back and handle the rest. But. Right. Right. Um, um, yeah, staying calm. If you stay calm, it's going to help your dog stay calm. I mean, if you're in a panic, obviously your dog's going to get worried. Do you think that transfers over to your dog when, when you're panicked? Oh, 100%. <laughs> or when you're nervous or, I mean, they know. You know, especially if you got your hands on them, they can feel your heartbeat. And so they're going to they're gonna recognize most people that, you know, trial their dogs, they'll get nervous, and then their dog goes in and is a nervous wreck, where if you can keep them, 
keep yourselves calm. Your dog's going to stay calm. It's no big deal. This is something we do every day. So they definitely can. They can feel it. They know what's going on. It all transfers right down the leash, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah. And same for horses. You know, you're well, ri- you're riding the the horse knows. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. They, they know if if you're nervous and something, you know, they ought to be looking around, being getting boogered, and so if you can stay calm, that helps. What about uh, what about car car versus dog? Dog gets hit on the on the road. Any spe- <laughs> any special things that that uh, we need to be cautious of? You know, I always go back to the the first responder thing with people. You know, they talk about stabilizing the head. You know, spinal stabilization, all this other stuff. How important is that for for dogs? It's, I mean, it's similar. Uh, you know, if their if their spinal column is damaged, they're going to lose feeling in their feet, or you know, they're going to be paralyzed. So, it's similar. The less you can move them, the better. Generally, when a dog gets hit by a car, unless it pretty much instantly kills them, they generally run somewhere as a panic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just pure just adrenaline, right? correct yeah they're not going to just stay laying in the road for you to you know take care of them so i mean if you can keep them still that's great most of them are going to light out and then you're going to you know try and track them down catch them whatever it takes um and they're probably going to bite you because they are in pain Mm -hmm. and that most dogs that are hit by a car will bite no matter how nice they are um and then, you know, don't move them too much and take them to the vet right away. It goes back to keeping them warm and comfortable, something soft to, to lay on because it obviously hurts. Right. So And then, would that transfer over to like a fall, a fall from a tree, a fall from a ledge, a fall from, you know, because hounds will climb, hounds will do that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, if they fall out of the tree, I mean... That there's not a lot of self-preservation because they do love what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, contrary to what people think, they live for it. Right. And so they're not going to stop, you know, if they fall out. They're going to go chase whatever jumped or, you know. Um, so as soon as you can get your hands on them and check them out, make sure that they're not limping. Or if they say if they are limping, you, there's lots of ways to tie the leg up um, where they're not using it. But the best thing you can do is splint it with something right there in the field because if it is broke they tend to the the muscles will suck up tight Mm -hmm. and it makes it harder to get the bones back in place for the doctor so if you can stabilize it just to get them out to get them to the vet you know whether it's a branch or a uh, you know you name it a, a, a fence stay just something that you can get your hands on to keep it straight you know and kind of keep it immobilized i guess Okay, so that's a big that's so a big help. I got a couple questions coming off of that, but the first one is you talked about a splint. So, um, describe describe what that entails. Putting a proper splint on a dog, or at least a field expedient splint. Okay, immobilize so immobilize it. You're going to want to put a layer of something, whether it's a layer of that wrapper, cotton, or t-shirt, or whatever you happen to have, gauze. Mm-hmm. Then put your your stick, your branch, your post, whatever you got handy. Um, you know, a thicker, straighter is better, obviously. And then wrap it again, just because the wood will abrade the leg and cause open wounds, which then cause more trouble 
down the road, you know, when you do have a, a real splint on and you have the infection under the splint that you have to treat, mm-hmm. it slows the healing process. So you want to put a layer against the dog skin before you splint the leg. Okay. And then whatever you have handy, I mean, shoot, you can cut your shirt up or, you know, whatever you've got going. So if you have the vet wrap, that's great. Yep. You vet wrap, say we're, you know, we go ahead and we wrap it up with vet wrap because we're Johnny on the spot and we thought about this and we've, we've got vet wrap against it. We put, put a splint on both sides of the leg or just one side, or what do you recommend? A one is good enough. One is good enough. Generally. Okay. Yeah. Because if it's broke, they're not generally going to walk on it anyway. It's just to keep it, say, walking out. It's not going to be flopping everywhere. Gotcha. Which is going to upset the muscles more, and then that's when they start to shrink up. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you get your dog in to have it checked out, the better off it's going to be for you and the doctor. And it's probably going to cost you less because you're not going to have to, you know, pay, pay to have your dog put under longer to stretch the muscles back out to get the bone put back together. That's so interesting. To you in the long run, too. So that when, when a dog comes in that hasn't been treated right away, you actually have to go in there, put the dog under, and then stretch those muscles and, then, and everything back yep. in. Hmm. Stretch everything back out to get the bones to line up. Yeah. It's interesting. Which is obviously harder on everybody, the dog, you, the Can, doctor. Is it, so say we get in and we've had a, we've, you know, either a car, something from an impact, a dog falls, a dog's been hit by a car. If they can walk, should we let them walk, or should we go ahead and, and pack them out? If, he, if they're not labored in their breathing, I would let them walk out. Um, say that, say that again. You kind of cut out there a little bit. Uh, if, if they're not labored in their breathing, okay. let, them, let them walk out. You know, if it, I mean, if it looks like they don't want to walk, they're not going to pack them out. Mm-hmm. But they're generally pretty tough, and if they want to walk they're probably good to walk out and just be checked out. Okay. If they don't want to walk, you know, if they're, say they collapse a lung, um, that happened to a friend's dog. I've heard of that too. If they don't want to walk out, they're, they're huffing, they're puffing, you know, help them out. Yes. Yeah. So it, it may not only be, it may not be a broken leg. It may be a punctured lung from, from an impact like right. that or, a you know, yeah, or, the spleen or the kidneys are bruised. Exactly. They're pretty resilient, but they're going to tell you if you use a little bit of common sense that, well, this, you know, don't drag him out of the woods if he doesn't want to walk. Mm-hmm. Help him out a little bit, or if he wants to walk, then you know, let him go at his pace. But if he walks, I don't know, you know, five ten feet and stops and just looks at you, he probably needs some help getting right. out. If he wants to walk normal, you know, he's probably going to be all right. The sore and Maybe has a, a cracked something or you know bruise, but should we be checking them for shock? Out, checked out. Should we be checking them with yeah, shock yeah. for with that gum press deal and and the whole nine yards? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it won't. I mean, it's not hurting anything. It doesn't take that long to to see what's going on because there could be a bleeder inside that says, "Oh, I got to pack this dog up, and get out of here," you know, stat. Right. Rather than we can take our time, we can gather dog you know, ease our way out of here versus we got to go now. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned a dog biting. 
do you have any uh, do you have any tricks for field expedient muzzles so that you can treat a dog? Yes, <laughs> you can use um, a shoelace or a piece of gauze, something, and tie it in a circle and put it the kind of like a, a square knot on your shoe. Put it on the bottom and pull it tight, and go around the top of the nose again. So you've doubled up your circle now. Tie it off and then go behind the ears and tie it off so that they can't just push it off right away. Um, I hope that makes sense. I guess you start with your square knot on the top, tie it, go around, drop your tails, tie a square knot on the bottom, and then go behind the ears and tie it quick release. Yeah. So you can get it on. But, mm-hmm. um, but if that will help you out, I'm going to you know, You want to know what I use in my pack for that? What's that? One leg out of a pair of pantyhose. Let's see, and that's perfect. It, um, they make rolled gauze that works great. It weighs zero. I mean, it's it's almost exactly. lighter than air. And you take yep. the full leg and you start on the top of the muzzle, wrap one wrap around, go back over the top, back under, cross it over, and then tie behind the head. And you've got a you've got a yep. muzzle right there. Yeah. So and it, it works amazing. I'm not trying to steal um, your podcast yeah. at all or your information. No, you're it's doing just a good job. it's just something that I found yeah. was uh and I didn't learn that. I mean I mean I didn't create that. I learned that in when I was a canine handler. We had to do some field first aid stuff, but all that stuff is any of those hacks is is really what we're looking for. And I think a lot of times people just overlook some simple things that that they can they can do obviously if it's zero out you don't want to be using all your clothes i'm me personally this is just my own personal decision if if i wade through a river and it's zero out and my dog's injured i'm not using my clothes to keep my dog alive i you know i mean i'm gonna have to yeah if it's your life or his life i mean i hate to say it but yeah you have to use some common sense there and say look and I think the best you can, buddy, but Yeah, I think I think in our current current day and time we we see it, you know, with this uh the way people are with I mean we, we we put the same value in a dog's life as we do a human's life and and I'm just not there. Um as much as I love my hounds, it's important to take care of the people first and absolutely the dog okay. second and I don't think any of our houndsmen need to be told that. I don't know why I felt like I was motivated to say that because I think most houndsmen <laughs> have got common sense. But, you know, we've got a lot of younger, newer houndsmen that are coming into this all the time. And, and uh, you know, it's just, like, it's just like combat first aid when I was in the Marine Corps. You use their first aid kit on them. Your first aid kit is for you. So, you know, it's just common sense right. type stuff. But um, Right. And it, it doesn't add much to your pack to carry some of these odds and ends, you know, to help you be successful in, in the field, to help out, you what know, are, when you get out of the field. What are some other things that that um, people can, can stow in their pack that is just useful stuff and it's easy to acquire? You know, we talked about tampons, we talked about maxi pads, we talked about pantyhose, um... You know, you got anything else that that people can can use? You that's... Know, pen, go ahead. Pen cord 
Paracord is amazing. Um, you can use it for all kinds of stuff. You can make the muzzle. You can, if you have enough wrap it, you know, to keep your splint straight if you don't have, um, you just have to be careful wrapping too much because it will cut the circulation off. Paracord. Um, paracord. Yep. And it's lightweight. Mm -hmm. It's cheap. I mean, you can go to any store and pick it up. Gauze. I mean, you can buy an entire sleeve of gauze off of Amazon for like $3, you know, or go to your vet either way. Um, and it doesn't take up much room to, you know, pack a stack of an inch or two of gauze, and that's more than enough to do field trauma stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that wrap is available at any farm store. And, um, so all of that is readily available, and it would, I mean, it's, it's a good thing to have. It doesn't take a lot of space or a lot of room. Mm -hmm. and, and that could pretty much handle with that, and, you know, like you said, the maxi pads or the tampons. That, that would get you out of the field fairly cheap and keep everything fairly clean. And most people hike with water anyway, so. Mm -hmm. um, that's, I mean, we don't carry anything too special in our pack. What about uh, like, like, like the small bottles of saline solution? I mean, like the six ounce it comes out when you squirt it hard. You know, it's already got to kind of, you know, you put the pressure on it. How much how much pressure is too much pressure for flush on wound? Is that safe to use on a wound? Yes, saline is safe. Yes, you could definitely use that. But, but I, it takes I mean it takes quite a bit of pressure to tear up the tissue, really. Okay. Yeah, I just I just wanted to know if that was something safe for people to use. Talk to me about like neosporin or triple antibiotic uh, cream. The big spots that you can what's that? I think we I think we talked over each other. Go ahead and say what you were saying again there. Oh, um, so if you got the saline, it's not a repetitive thing. You're squirting it over the big obvious dirt, flushing everything down. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you want to pack it, it's a great, great thing. Yeah. To, to, to carry. Okay. So, so I've heard two different stories on triple antibiotic cream in dogs four dogs is it good or is it not good like a neosporin <laughs> what's that yep um you we use it at the vet office you can use triple antibiotic neosporin bactracin um, they make a silver sulfadiazine which is actually a people medicine for burns that is great for healing the tissue mm -hmm. um and it, you know it's it's fairly readable. All all of that is fairly readable. You can get triple antibiotic anywhere, so it's great to carry. Okay, so here's here's putting you on the spot a little bit. the old, The old time houndsmen are like, dog's got a cut on its leg. Put some blue coat on it. What is blue coat, and is it really any good? Well, we use blue coat to cure ringworm on the show steer. <laughs> okay. That's about that's about all we've ever used it for. Um, you know, it 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 can help, but I think more it's just a general cover to keep things clean. I mean, nothing against it mm -hmm. for sure. It's going to help keep that layer out, but until it dries, it's pretty sticky. So you're going to have to you know detain the dog for a little bit until it dries to keep that hair out. Mm -hmm. What about EMT gel? I've never used it. Okay. 
it's, I think it's, I, I mean, I've seen all kinds of stuff for wound care, wound covering, and it goes from, you know, like, I know it's got pine tar in it or, you know, some type of resin in it that, that makes a seal over the wound. Is it better to not seal that up and let it drain naturally? If it, you know, if I'm, if I'm, I've trying to make this as politically correct as possible. And I don't want anybody out there doing their own vet care, but I also don't run to the vet for every single thing, that every every little thing. And so I'll just give you an example. You know, I was hog hunting a couple weeks ago down in the marsh. One of my plots came in and had a slice pad. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it. And is it better to go ahead and clean the wound and then put a covering over it? Or is it better to clean the wound and leave it open so that it drains? Um, Cover it. So okay. pad, pads are a little tricky because you can stitch them, but they generally don't stay because of the way they're built. The tissue is so soft and spongy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't generally stitch an actual pad between the toes, yes, but not the pad. So it's best to clean it out and wrap it until it heals naturally. Okay. So either, as long as you have something to keep it clean and it doesn't look like, you know, it's you're going to look at it and see if it's infected because it's going to be swollen and sore and the dog's going to lick it and right. all of that, uh, you know, obvious so you common d- sense things that say, oh. You don't recommend my hillbilly method of cleaning up, flushing it, and then putting goop over it to seal the wound. <laughs> well, as, as long you, as you can call me out, it doesn't get infected. <laughs> you can call me out, Sheridan. <laughs> I've never used your goop. But I'm sure it's fine. If it's, I mean, if it's working, <laughs> I'm all about anything that works. But. Yeah, and I'm not talking. Yeah, and I'm not talking about paws are protected. I just want that's our sponsor, and I'm not talking. That stuff's amazing. I'm talking about and like that stuff looks good on my finger. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm talking about some stuff. I mean, I've I've EMT gels some crazy stuff. I'm just trying to find out the right application to use it. If and and sit if you have time, research it, look at it, and then send me a message, and and tell me what you think about it. I I like it. Okay. I've, um, I've I've used it quite a bit on different things, and and uh, yeah. You know the thing I've always found though is you wrap a dog's paw, and as soon as you leave them alone, they chew the daggone bandage off, and then they're walking around on it anyway. Right, and that's the tricky part is keeping them from their bandage off so i mean your gel I mean, maybe work perfect maybe you just taught me something what about what about super glue no <laughs> it burns <laughs> and it it, gen- <laughs> it it generally keeps the infection in so don't use super glue don't the new skin it's just it's not tough enough for like a dog foot what about like a split you ear they- what about a split ear can i use super glue on my dog's ear I wouldn't, but I would, let's say if that's your only option. You absolutely can't get somebody to stitch it or it just won't quit bleeding. You could, but it's probably still going to bleed underneath and blow the super glue off. Mm-hmm. Anyway. What about when you so super glue, what about when you super glue your fingers to your dog's ear? Not that I've ever done <laughs> that. Anyway. Not that I've ever done that, <laughs> but just hy- then, hypothetically speaking. 
then you get out your wife's um, fingernail polish remover. <laughs> Talk about burning and really getting bit. Alcohol. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> alcohol is actually <laughs> alcohol is actually better for cleaning infection and stuff out than peroxide. I'm glad peroxide you brought that up. To kill some of the good cells. So, yes, alcohol burns like fire. Um, that's where your muzzle comes in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and clean something out real good with the alcohol rather than peroxide. Peroxide's a good choice if that's all you have. Say peroxide versus water, use the peroxide. But if you have the chance to use the alcohol, use it. I mean, that's what they use for surgical prep, you know, besides betadine or iodine of some sort. Mm-hmm. Is they always start with alcohol. And and it, it kills everything. Tell, tell me again what peroxide does. Why, why do you get alcohol <laughs> before peroxide? Well, I, we just read about this, and it's been a couple of weeks ago, but it tends to kill off the good cells also. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have another layer that has to heal before the healing can actually start, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, I mean, it, it's a good option. It's better than nothing, and it's better than just water, but alcohol is your, your best choice. And then when would you follow up with, like, an iodine? Do you follow up with the iodine after you clean it with the alcohol? You can. It won't hurt anything. Okay. I mean, it's just doubling up on the on the cleaning. Okay. So when, right. they, when you do surgical procedures, you clean it with alcohol, and then you go over it with iodine to make sure that, you know, you got everything. I you got can't you. use iodine on cats, just in case somebody's worried about doctoring their cats. <laughs> Don't n- put iodine on them. We're not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um, like I say, alcohol is readily available and it works great. So, since you brought up alcohol, um, let's talk about dogs that are suffering from heat exhaustion or possible, you know, heat heat casualties. Okay. Um, what's common treatment for a heat casualty? You get in there. How do you recognize it? And then how do you get your dog? cooled down i know a lot of our houndsmen you know they're hunting in places that don't have a lot of water so that's not an option um arid climate type stuff so you can't get them and is there some risk to getting cooling a dog's temperature down too quick yes you can send them into shock okay um so you want to if, if water is available Put them in cool water, not ice cold, not frigid, just just cool water, you know, cool to the touch. Um, if water's not available, get some air flowing over them because they don't really sweat. They release heat through their through panting and through their pads and their feet. So if you can get their feet into something cool, even if it's your bottle of water or something, that's going to help immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, air flow, a fan, but you don't want them to get too cold right away. Okay. Okay. And then offer them water to drink, obviously, mm-hmm. if available. How do I recognize that my dog may be suffering from heat exhaustion or heat casualty? They're uh, they're going to lay down, um, be panting, be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess you're going to, I guess to me, it seems like common sense. You're going to know, oh, it's hot and my dog is hot. You know, he's overworked, he's panting, he's laying down, he's not acting normal, he, you know, I'm hot, so he's probably hot. Right. 
right. type deal. Well, I, I guess we could probably call this like first day 101 for dummies. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, and I don't mean that degrading. It's just, it's just that, um, we're just trying to cover basic stuff here, you know, and, and it, just talk I about it like, it's common. yeah, that it's common sense. But to me, you know, it is common sense. I guess to maybe everybody else, it might not be, but you're going to know if your dog is off because you're with him all the time and you know what's normal and you know, oh, he's not acting normal. Mm-hmm. Then you start going through, is he hurt? Is, am I hot? Is it hot out? You know, is he hot? Go, go there. If he's panting, he's obviously hot. Can um, if I put you know, and then so a dog that's panning. Uh, if we go back to, I think it was the podcast with our Dr. Arlie Reynolds. He talked about you know getting water back in the throat to scrub off the back of the throat because they've got those membranes and things in the back of their throat. You know, when a dog starts panning, they actually uh, uh, develop a mucus over the, the back area of the throat. So if you can, if you have a water bottle or shorty gorm, just put an HXP pro tip up by, you know, cutting a small hole in the top of a bottle and actually squirting that back in there. You don't want to drown your dog. Cause like you said, I think you mentioned it before, you know, aspirating them, but if you can scrub that off a little bit, that will help them cool down faster because they'll actually build up a mucous membrane on that on that uh, area in the back of their throat. Right. Well, so if you if you can't get them to drink, if they're so hot they're not wanting to drink, that's when you would use that. Mm-hmm. Generally, they're going to drink something. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if it's available, or eat snow or. Yeah, and I it, believe it or not, I train. I actually train all my dogs because we we hunt in some pretty hot and humid conditions here in Indiana. Believe it or not, and so I train them all to drink out of uh, a squirt bottle and also uh, a Camelback. They'll every one of my dogs will drink out of a Camelback pack. Oh, really? Ours will drink out of a water bottle, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. They, I bet you if you, if you you know, you, you put that down there and you just open it up and put some pressure on it, that they'll drink out of that. And you can actually squirt it out and they'll just sit there and lap it up. It's it's just one of those little huh. tricks that I thought, I wonder if this dog will drink out of this. And I started, they were hot and panting and I, I just pinched the end of it and put some pressure on it and, yep, they'll drink out of it pretty amazing that's good to know yeah that is amazing they're pretty innovative though i mean you can teach them anything yeah so what about alcohol using uh alcohol to get the core temperature down for a dog that's in heat heat condition say you're close to the truck you're right there by your truck kit you got a bottle of alcohol in there can i pour this alcohol on you know like the feet and alcohol evaporates faster than water so it's going to cool the right cool the dog down have you ever heard of that i I, in horses yes never in dogs okay generally just you know you want to put your dog's feet where it's cool and if you're you're close enough to the truck to do the alcohol you can put them in the in the air conditioning or you know in the in where they got some airflow i got you the dog box open all the all the flaps or something okay just because it's going to be easier yeah okay what have we missed uh, 
I don't think anything. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they learned anything, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it was great. I really do. I think, I think, um, and obviously, you know, again, we're not trying to substitute this information for well-trained vet care, proper vet care, you know, this lifestyle is expensive and there's a risk every time we turn a dog loose. I don't care where you're turning them loose. And if you can't, you shouldn't be trying to save money by not getting your dog their proper care. And that's, that's one of the things that we talked about in our podcast for the new year. You know, one of my resolutions was not to have more dogs than I could properly care for. And, uh, so again, we're not, we're not trying to train anybody to be a vet tech. We're not trying to, we're just trying to get, get some information out there that can save your dog's life, help your vet and, um, you know, not make things worse, worse for your dog. And I think if you have a good relationship with your vet, you know, they're going to, they're going to help you out too. um, say oh my dog got a scratch i sutured it doc you know could i get some antibiotics Mm -hmm. most of them are going to say sure you know if if you have that good relationship if you just show up and go i need some antibiotics he's going to go well you know who are you and why first of all that's why he's going to question that's what you suture it right yeah that's why i miss my old time vet you know doc beckett i miss him he's gone but, um, you know, now you call and it's like, well, we need to, we need to schedule an office visit and we need to weigh your dog and we need, you know, and by the time you walk out of there, you've paid 200 bucks for a couple of, couple of, for a whole physical for your dog instead of just getting the antibiotics and getting out the door. Right. And I think that's, and I, I'm not putting, go I'm ahead. not putting down the dog, the doggies up, um, but if you can find.